0: Gardeners, farmers, compost enthusiasts, and growers, welcome to the Healthy Garden, the show where soil is important and growing a healthier world is job one. Hey there, gardeners. Hope you're all well and ready as we just transition to summer and that all of you had a nice Father's Day for those of you out there who celebrate the day. I do. As a dad, and I was super blessed to get to spend an hour and a half on a FaceTime call the other day with my daughter, as well as to get an amazingly beautiful card from my stepdaughter that made me cry. As a person who did not have the easiest and coziest relationship with my dad, God has blessed me with beautiful children who I love and who love me, and in the family that we have made that is 100% different than the one that I grew up in. The only bad thing or somewhat bad thing that happened to me on Father's Day and with all the gardening that we did this past weekend, we forgot to harvest the strawberries and last night a rat snuck past all of my traps to the ripe berries that were hanging over the edge of their containers and grabbed the beautiful big seascape berry and the ripest alpine berry that I may have ever seen. Of course, the dirty rat only took a couple of bites and then left it there for me to see in the morning as its way of saying in my ongoing battle with the dirty rat gang, got you, sucker. That reminds me, as we wander back into episode number 36 of the Healthy Garden Podcast, Raise Your Raised Bed Game Part 2. That harvesting on time and when things are ready is so critical. Sometimes we forget that we are dealing with nature and that when the fruits and veggies are ready, we better get to them before somebody else does. Sometimes it might be a teenager who juices the cucumber that I was going to add to our salad for lunch. And other times it's a member of the dirty rat gang who is trying to torment me once again. I would say that this year I am winning the man versus rat fight, and for that I am grateful. So back to the issue at hand, raised beds. I had a couple of interesting comments from one of the pages that we share the podcast on Facebook on, from my personal page, particularly about raised beds not being natural and not part of the biodynamic agricultural community. But I reminded one of the commenters that raised bed gardening came from centuries-old protocols of mounding which makes raised bed gardening an adaptive form of mounding, which took its modern shape over 100 years ago in the kitchen gardens of colonial America and in Paris during the growth of the French intensive gardening method. We had another comment about topsoil being where the antibiotics are in the soil. That is true in good, healthy clean, living soil like the forest or an untouched field or farms or landscapes or gardens of those who are awake and aware of the paramount importance of growing clean, healthy, true organic soil and making the feeding of the biology, the microbial life in the soil as the main job of any good gardener, farmer, landscaper, or grower. I reminded the commenter, that I was referring to the topsoil, sold in bulk at soil yards and in bags at the nurseries. And that, plus the 12 steps, no, not those 12 steps, although I 100% believe in the power of those 12 steps, but the 12 steps of raised bed gardening are what this episode and the last episode are all about.
1: Hi, it's Norma, biological farmer and producer of the Healthy Garden podcast. I like to use Malibu Compost Booze Blend Compost to top dress my raised beds with. I apply one inch throughout at the start of every growing season. I also use Malibu Compost's compost tea for fruits, vegetables, and tomatoes. I tea drench once a month with it. And one sleeve of tea has four tea bags in it, so it lasts me a whole season. You can now try them both in a raised bed food garden package set and save 15% at malibucompost.com. There are so many benefits that this combination does for your raised beds, and you can read all about the benefits at malibucompost.com.
0: I thought since topsoil is a key ingredient, 50 to 60% of some of the raised bed garden mixes that many experts tout, I thought I'd get into what is natural topsoil and what is the topsoil that we can buy at the nurseries, hardware stores, soil yards, and big boxes. First off for me, you know that I don't buy any soil from the big box stores because generally you are getting the cheapest of the cheap in terms of inputs from the big box stores. I really try my best not to shop at the big boxes. I try to go to the local and independent hardware store, the local nursery, the local feed and farm. I only go to the big boxes as a last resort and never to buy soil. It's funny. I flipped to the depot site to see what they were selling for topsoil and it was definitely an interesting look. Besides some pretty bad customer reviews about the quality of much of the topsoil that people bought, was the recommended products that popped up alongside of the topsoil. It's an amazing maze of marketing genius. I give them credit for that. But it is 100% BS. They've got a faux organic bag of something next to the bags with topsoil, claiming that their organic. Raised bed product helps curb climate change by sequestering more stable carbon in your raised bed than compost and peat-based products. And it even comes with a six month time released organic fertilizer in it. Really? Time released organic fertilizer? Come on, Debo. They also recommend a couple of different one cubic foot bags of topsoil that cost $2.35. Wow. Or their five-cubic-yard bulk topsoil that is $256 for the whole five yards and that is advertised as great for fruits and veggies, that the soil matter is organic, even though it has not been warranted or certified by any certifier. Oh yeah, and the product varies from state to state on texture, color, and particle size. They further suck people into their marketing vortex of chaos and confusion by telling us That customers who viewed topsoil also purchased the miraculous green and yellow bag of garden soil as an add-on. Come on, Depot. Buying topsoil is not only confusing in America, it's confusing for gardeners in the UK as well. So what is topsoil? Well, according to the Online Soil UK, a big soil supplier in the UK, topsoil is the layer of soil, the upper layer, usually between two to eight inches in depth that contains most of the ground's nutrients and fertility. Topsoil formation is an incredibly slow process, taking typically a 100 years for every inch of soil. It is formed from the weathering of rocks and the subsequent addition of organic material from decaying plants and animals. This enriches the soil and adds the nutrients essential to support plant life. And this is my favorite part of the online UK description of what topsoil is. Some suppliers talk extensively about organic topsoil, but this is generally misleading. True organic topsoil would be taken from an organic certified field, which would be prohibitively expensive. I like that. Way to go, team. Stab them right where it hurts. In the truth. Even the RHS, the Royal Horticultural Society, jumped in on the topic of topsoil in an article they wrote called Topsoil Buying. Topsoil is the uppermost layer of soil, which is high in nutrients and organic matter. It is widely available to buy in bags or in bulk from specialist suppliers, garden centers, and I love how they spell that, C-E-N-T-R-E-S, that's the correct way, and DIY superstores. It can be used for making new beds, borders, raised beds, and as a base for lawns where the natural soil is poor and non-existent. Topsoil is generally available to buy in three different grades, premium, general purpose grade, or economy grade. We don't have that here. The big difference there is pH, the good stuff ranging from 5.5 to 7.8 and the lower grades from 5.0 to 8.2. They further go on to say to avoid later problems, and I love how they say that. It is best to check the topsoil before buying it. Look out for high stone content, thick fibrous roots, weeds and contaminants such as glass and brick. (laughs) Inspection will enable any concerns you may have to be discussed before purchasing it. Ask the supplier where it is coming from and whether it has all of the same origin building sites are often used as a source and they the quantity can be variable if the supplier has had soil analysis undertaken request a copy if they claim it is good and state facts and figures request these details in writing back across the pond we go to a piece out by michigan state university the shocking truth about topsoil sounds ominous doesn't it it gets worse what every homeowner should know about topsoil. Dun dun, dun 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 dun. Almost every homeowner with any property has said at some time, "We need to buy some topsoil." It could be to fill flower beds, build up the vegetable garden, or cover sandy or clay soils when putting in a lawn. But do they really know what they are getting? Dun 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 dun. dun. The plot thickens. They go on to talk about several myths. I'll list a few of my favorite from their piece. Myth number one, topsoil means that it is going to be good, dark, rich soil. Balloon popper, and they wrote that and I love that. There is no legal definition of the word topsoil. Technically, it is whatever is on the top, sight unseen. You could order five yards of anything from beach sand to adobe brick material. Always go and look at what you are buying if you are unfamiliar with the soil seller and know what you are purchasing. Myth number two, good topsoil is very black. Balloon popper. Very black soils are not always the best soils. You should be able to feel some grit when you rub a small amount of soil between your thumb and forefinger. This is the mineral portion of the soil, which is critical for plant growth. Love that, right? And most soil is not good and black. Most really good soil is good and chocolate. That's not part of Michigan State University. That's me. Myth number three, there are no weed seeds in good topsoil. Balloon popper. All topsoil comes with weed seeds. There is no way for even the most diligent seller to remove these. If the soil was heated to kill the seeds, which sometimes they do, they sterilize. It also kills the valuable microorganisms in the soil. This sterile disaster would create more problems than it would solve. Soil equals seeds, and when the plants appear, they are often plants that you will recognize because they are not currently growing on your property. (laughs) Now we fly out to the coast to the city by the bay from an article on the San Francisco Gate. And they tell us, compositioned. Bag topsoil is a manufactured product that is usually a mix of sand, organic matter, fertilizers, and other amendments. It does not actually contain soil. Bulk topsoil can be the exact same product as bag topsoil minus the bag. Or it can be soil that has been removed from the earth somewhere else and stockpiled for sale to gardeners and landscapers. The quality of topsoil can vary tremendously from the black gold, which I really hate that, that all gardeners covet, to soil of medium or low fertility that can do more harm than good in the landscape. It contains a mixture of sand, silt, and clay particles, some quantity of organic matter, and perhaps some small rocks and root pieces. Blended products that are a mixture of manufactured topsoil and natural soil are also available in bulk. Topsoil is a big subject, you guys. There are a zillion articles and studies on the erosion of topsoil from tilling and improper farm management. There are books, guidelines, and regulations on topsoil salvage, yes, that's actually a thing, and topsoil stockpiling for the construction industry. One of my favorite pieces comes from Penn State. It's called Understanding Tree Planting in Construction Damaged Soils. The article describes fabricated soils, which are manufactured soils, and soils on the garden that people have excavated from, which can be heavily compacted, polluted, and unfertile, full of trash and debris, and have unhealthy high or low pH ranges. This is from the article. Soils found in commercial, residential, or other landscapes that have been involved in construction are most likely different from soils found in places that are undeveloped or uncultivated. Some people refer to soils in developed places as fabricated or made soils because of grading, soil fill and removal, equipment movement, cleaning equipment, and other activities in areas that have undergone construction. Made soils can be highly mixed and altered. These soils can change in fertility, pH, compaction, and drainage from foot to foot. I always talk about this in my gardening classes for people when they're putting stuff in, beds in, or what they're doing, because if they're on fill or they've been on soil that's been cut and filled, then you don't know from that's why. You don't know from spot A to spot B if the soil is the same. And that's why when we take soil testing and do soil sampling, you want to get a lot of tests, multiple tests, multiple samples. So you know what you're dealing with. The last thing I want to leave you with about topsoil is this from a piece last year in The Guardian. Morrissey's least favorite news source, but here it goes. The world grows 95% of its food in the uppermost layer of soil, making topsoil one of the most important components of our food system. But thanks to the conventional farming practices, nearly half of the most productive soil has disappeared in the world in the last 150 years, threatening crop yields and contributing to nutrient pollution, dead zones, and erosion. In the U.S. alone, soil on cropland is eroding 10 times faster than it could be replenished. My point in belaboring this is that you, me, anybody isn't going to find a good source of topsoil to use as 50% of the soil that you are going to try and grow clean, healthy, true organic food in. It's a unicorn that doesn't exist. So don't waste your time or your money. We need to grow safe, healthy food and we need to grow it now. And that's what's next in episode number 36, our 12 steps of raised bed gardening. Hey there, Raised Bed Gardeners. Booze Blend Compost from Malibu Compost has all of the major and minor nutrients and trace minerals in it that your plants need to grow healthy, tasty, and strong. It's loaded with beneficial microbes and clean, non-GMO-sourced organic matter. Get a bag or 10 today at your independent retailer or from the Boo at malibucompost.com. All right, gang, we're back to Norma's favorite part of this episode, the one where I give you the steps, the blueprint, the way in which we do raised bed gardening. So without any further ado, here are the steps. Oh, wait a minute. And although I really wanted to crush a drum roll here, but because there are 12 steps, I'm going to spare you. 12 drum rolls, not good, no bueno. Step number one. Pick your spot. This is one of the most important parts of the steps. Maybe you only have one spot that you can put raised beds in, or maybe you have multiple, but you have to ask yourself a couple of very tough questions. A, does this spot get enough sun exposure? Because if it doesn't, you will be fighting an uphill battle forever and will never get the level of food production that you desire. B, can you fix the exposure problem? I jumped up on the wall and cut all the limbs and small branches from my neighbor's tree that were shading my space. Problem solved. (laughs) It looks good. No one got hurt, and and our beds get plenty of sun. C, was there any toxicity or environmental issues? Like maybe the area that you want to put your raised beds was once the site of a nuclear reactor? Watch the spot for sun, rain, and wind over the seasons. If time is of the essence, pull out the compass on your iPhone and watch where the sun rises and sets during the spring and summer. You'll know if you get enough exposure that way. Also, time it when the sun would hit the spot for your future raised beds and when it disappears over the roof, the fence line, or the tree line. Step number two. Make a list of what you'll grow in the raised beds. That will help you determine how big to design your beds, how much space you'll need, and if this project is even going to work. Try to be realistic about how much food you need and how much time you have to tend your healthy food garden. This is not a plug and play where you can set up a box, dump in some soil, drop in some plants and water it once in a while. That ain't going to work. My suggestion is that it's like naming a baby on a baby list. What do you love to eat? What do you need to create in terms of a balanced menu of food? Since many of the the things are seasonal and many gardeners and gardens are seasonal, trying to use the menu concept for what we will be seeing in July, September, January, if you can grow in the winter, and in May is really gonna be important. Then you can come up with a really good list and it's gonna only help make you be more successful in your growing. Step three, figure out just where you're going to get these plants that are going to be giving you, your family and friends sustenance. Are you going to start them from seeds or are you gonna buy starts? Do you have good organic seeds? Have you ever started a plant from seed? Do you have the time it takes to grow from seed? There are several good organic heirloom seed companies out there. Buy from them. With regards to starts, does your favorite nursery sell organic starts? If so, great. This is a quick way to get started or a way to supplement while you're waiting for your seeds to become seedlings and ultimately starts. We do both. If you buy starts, Shake off as much of that crappy soil that they're grown in without damaging the plant's roots, and then put them into your beds. Step number four, the terms. The term in this case doesn't mean what kind of deal you can make with God or nature regarding the growth and health of your raised bed garden. It means the length of time between the seasons, the succession planting. Adding starts or the seedlings that you grew to replace the ones that have lost their luster or are no longer performing. We also do transition planting where we start to transition out of a winter or a spring crop for a summer crop. The last two things are really important because it's maximizing your space and more importantly maximizing your production. Sometimes it's better to pull a kale at the end of May when it looks all tired and scraggly and dinosaur-like and put something in its place that is going to thrive <laughs> and, produ- and produce for you over the summer. We remove our lettuce, of which we grow a lot once it gets hot, and move them into the earth boxes under the shade cloth up against the shade wall to grow six great beds of lettuce all summer long. You can do it, it just takes a little bit of thinking and planning. Step number five, design your beds. Again, we return to what are we growing, how much we need, and our environmental factors of sun, wind, and moisture. We did two new four by eight beds this spring in the side yard of our home as the side yard garden project. We get southern and western sun exposure. The wind gets cut by the block wall out front. And as far as moisture goes, well, we live in SoCal. So it's all man-made except for a little June gloom, the fog that rolls in from the coast every night. Step number six, pick out your material. What do you want to make your beds out of? Are you going architectural, scavenger, don't care, whatever's cheapest? These are all good questions and the ones that you need to know. We chose architectural and functional. I'm a bit of a rain man, so I like the garden to be visually appealing. Be careful if you're scavenging that you don't use treated wood, painted wood, or stuff that you have no idea about. The same goes for metals and metal siding. You don't want stuff that can rust or leak into your beds, or more importantly, your food. Pick out your soil. Who out there thinks that this is the most important step to me? I do, I do, I do. (laughs) I said that to someone recently, and it was the best thing that I ever said or ever happened to me. I do. So soil, that's it. This is the whole enchilada. Mariachis, please. We only use true organic, non-GMO soil that is tested, true, and full of life. You need a living soil that breathes and fosters microbial activity and growth, as well as one with only natural, real organic inputs that are safe and effective. If you are on a crazy tight budget, there is one other soil mix that I can recommend. You'll have to do the mixing yourself It can cost probably about 30% less than the soil I recommend, but you need to jump on the compost tea and top dress protocols immediately if you go this route. If you want to know the recipe, then message us on our Facebook or Instagram pages and I'll share it with you. You don't want to mess around with this step because it will cause you pain. So break up with the soil You've been using now. Eight, build your beds. We built our most recent 4x8 beds with all of the 4x8s being from clean, straight Douglas fir 2 x 8 by 8s We made them 16 inches high by stacking two boards on top of each other and building them from the ground up. We did some corner bracing and used R4 self-countersinking screws from GRK. We then sealed the exterior of the raised beds with a non-toxic eco-primer and painted with an eco-friendly paint. We chose a color that was natural and looked fantastic with the rest of our house and garden. We left the insides natural. These beds will give us years of life, and when they need to be replaced, we will build new ones. Get creative here, gang. You only live once, and that's the truth. Nine, the pre-fill. This is a step no one does but us. This is the one where you have to be brutally honest about the soil that you are building your raised beds on. Is there any potential toxicity issue or have you been using poisons or chemicals out in that area of the yard? Did the previous owner love himself some Roundup? (laughs) Don't know. Then do the following. Make a compost or a few And then flush the natural soil at the bottom of your unfilled raised bed. If you know it was toxic, take one more step. Do a flush with SLF-100, which is a microbial enzyme that will eat toxins. You could also take the added step of making a bucket of EM-1 from Terragonics and flush the bed with that as well. You are getting a lot of biology in the soil by doing this and will help with the remediation below the ground before you fill your beds. Step number 10. Fill your beds. Take your bags and dump them out into the bed by creating a layering effect. When you get about, let's say, four bags in, stop and lightly water the potting soil with your wand to activate it. Water is the enlivening force, and this will stimulate the biology. Continue to do this in the same manner until you fill your beds up, about a couple of inches below the top. This is called freeboard. You will need room at the top to top dress your beds with compost and a few of the other amendments that we recommend. Step number 11, activation. Water your raised beds or bed, sands plants, for several days to further activate the soil. This is another step that no one else does, but that can pay off big for your beds. Let the microbes acclimate to their new digs and let them start breaking down some of the organic matter in the potting soil. This will really help those new tender roots that you are about to transplant into your beds. Step number 12, plant. Everybody thinks that this is the fun part. I think this is just the beginning of a whole new episode in your daily life. I like to plant with design in mind. I can't help it. So I lay everything out in a grid or patterns according to size, sun, who's not going to block anybody else out, and what is the plan for succession and transition planting. Once you're happy with your future food machine or supermarket, then plant away and give everything a good soaking with your watering wand, being careful not to drown anything out. That's it. Next, you're going to start running compost teas every three weeks and top dress lightly the beds with compost every six weeks. This plus a really good pest management program like the one we gave you in episode number 30, Practical Pest Management, will get you off to the races and will put you far ahead of the rest of the pack because now you know how to raise your raised bed game.
1: That concludes this episode of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Please post your questions on the Healthy Garden Podcast pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week to learn more about how you can free yourself from the chemical and synthetic trap that's been set to keep you from growing a true organic and healthy garden. Until then, happy and healthy gardening.